Welcome back to Southern Science. My name is Erica, and I am a scientist. And my name is Katie, and I am not a scientist. And, and this, this is Southern, Southern Science. Science. Oh, this is so much easier when we're in person. <laughs> so much easier in person. Yes. So, um, in case you haven't figured it out, I am actually sitting beside Erica. I can reach out and touch Katie. I can poke her in the arm it's right amazing. now. It's amazing. I'm so excited. And since y'all heard a couple weeks ago, it looks like this is going to be a pretty regular thing uh, starting in July when I move here and Erica doesn't leave me uh, to my own demise and despair. So, I'm really excited. Hopefully, we're going to move forward with doing this in person because I have to be completely honest. Um Internet's great, and, like, we depend on it right now as a society a lot, you know, with Zoom and stuff, but, man, that lag is not my favorite. It does make it hard to try and record a two-way conversation Absolutely. Sometimes. Absolutely. Like, as a teacher, it's cool to just click mute and all my students go quiet, but, like, <laughs> no, you can do that. It's amazing, and they get so frustrated because they're nine years old, and it's adorable, and I love them. But, um, yeah, it's, it's much more difficult to record a podcast this way. Yep. And also, I can actually see the stuff Erica's showing me. And, like, it's not bug guts this week, which is great, but we've got some pretty cool boards she's got set up that we can see. Yes, and we're going to be setting up um, probably an Instagram, probably also a Facebook account, so that we will be able to um, share pictures of the stuff that we're talking about with you. Some of those things will be bug guts, but for, well. t- for today, it will be something much more pleasant. Because we're talking about natural dyeing and how to use mostly plants found in nature to dye fabric, whether animal fabric or, or plant fabric, um, and the different kinds of colors you can get off of that. Yeah, and like I, it's very important that you focus on the fabric part because when she said natural dyeing, I was still having some like you know PTSD from last week. <laughs> so I was like, oh god, not more of this. But no, it's actually really cool. Like dyeing I've, with an e. <laughs> yeah, I've never actually considered like how my fabric gets color that's not something that ever has entered into my mind and now i'm sitting here looking at all these really cool poster boards with like colored wool i was like huh i guess it makes sense there's not just sheep walking around with bright pink fur although that or wool whatever it is that would be cool they can yeah some i mean there are a lot of uh dyes that are animal safe that you can color sheeps just for fun uh you can also (laughs) People do that for their uh, pets, as we discussed with the McDonald's dog yeah, in, your, in the first that's episode. True. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. You can do that with your pets. Yeah. So yeah, okay. So like I, like we said, we're setting up an Instagram and a Facebook, and that's going to be pretty great. And because so, I really want you guys to see this, so Erica's got two boards in front of me right now, and they're labeled wool, and she's got pieces of what I can only assume are like knitted wool. Did you knit all these, by the way? Yes, I knitted the swatches. Of course, you did. Of course you did, because Erica does a lot of artsy things. Um, and they are all different colors, and they've got very interesting words under them. And i got to be honest, Erica, the one that keeps catching my attention, and I wanted to bring it up the second you brought is it, it up. Is it avocado? No, it's onion. Oh. oh my God, there is one that says avocado. <laughs> I just noticed that. I'm sorry. I got very distracted by the one that says onion. Yes. So we'll talk about what all these different words are as far as what the, the dyes that were used to create these colors. So first we're going to talk really briefly about what, you know, dyeing is, the history of it. But, I mean, that's an impossible history to cover <laughs> in just a generic science podcast. Obviously, as long as people have been making themselves clothes to cover their bodies, they wanted those clothes to be a little more interesting after oh, just yeah. the basic functionality of protecting you from the elements. Uh, at some point, you want to start looking a little snazzy. and <laughs> Yeah, I'm not wearing a, like a just regular like wool coat. That's not even a pretty color of white. Yeah. Not even cute. 
So if you have un- undyed plant fibers or animal fibers, they're generally just a kind of uh, off-white tan color. And that's nice on its own, but when society started wanting people to have status symbols or sh- just show their personalities, the best way to show that was in your clothing. And some of the first and easiest dyes are all based in what they call tannins. And tannins... Like wine? Yes, wine does have tannins in it. Um, but tannins is, it's a category of, of molecule and a lot of the really, um, like brown and tan dyes that you see are, um, from tannins that are found in different natural products. So like the acorn, um, you can find it in a lot of, uh, oak leaves, things that you'll see a lot of, um, brown dyes that come from the husks of nuts. So you'll see black walnut over there, hickory nut, right. Okay. Even avocado, avocados are nuts. Yes, but that avocado is dyed with the pit of the oh, avocado. Oh, okay, okay, I got you. Okay. Um, and so for actually for a lot of these, like for walnut, you don't dye with the part of the nut that you eat. You dye with the husk. that like the shell? Yes. Okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, the, the husk that surrounds the walnut. Well, that's super interesting because like you get to eat the nut and then mm-hmm. people are like, you know what, let's figure out if we can do something with this. And that's actually a, a great point is that a lot of these natural dyes come from what are waste products. So, like you said, with the onion. Mm-hmm. So, it's not the the part of the onion that you eat. It's the skin, the outside layers of the onion oh. that you would normally discard. Cause oh, my God. It goes in the trash. Because right. they're, they're papery yeah, and they're, they're gross. And, yeah. Yeah. So, you, that's what you would use if you were going to use an onion to dye. Uh, and the onion, onion on wool makes a, you know, kind of a nice golden color almost. Yeah. I mean, it's really, like, I like it, it's actually, I mean, I know y'all can't say it, but it's like, like, Went to LSU, right? Like, that is, like, LSU <laughs> yellow. It's, like, very pretty. It yeah. doesn't look like onion. It's a proper gold, really. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm, I'm assuming that only comes from yellow onion. I'm assuming if I did, like, a red onion or something, that would be different? Um, I think we did use yellow onions. But, mm-hmm. yeah, you could probably, for red onions, would probably get more of a purple color. But okay. But the, the goal is that the tannins that will and dye molecules that will stick to the fabric are mm-hmm. not the same as what maybe the color of the food is. Oh, okay. Because there's a lot of things that you say like, oh, well, if you want red, you know, why not just use grapes and smash them all over your clothes or something like that. That's, but that's a stain. And the problem with stains is that they're not color fast and color fast means the ability to remain a consistent color over a very long period of time. And although, you know, we say that stains don't really wash out, but they don't retain the same vibrancy over potentially centuries that an actual dye uh, does. Okay, wait. Okay, I'm actually following that. Okay. I recently went to a museum in St. Louis and mm-hmm. I remember being like fascinated that these clothes were still bright. Whereas like if I get wine on my favorite shirt, eventually I can make it to where it's kind of like a like I know it's there, but it's not like bright red. Yeah, like wine it doesn't color. it doesn't match your hair purple. Right. Like yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, okay. I oh, okay. So that so color fast. Right. God, how do you figure that out? So trial and error error. through centuries i assume (laughs) we're like let's try onion why not (laughs) and so like some of the this you can notice in nature so i keep saying tannins is a very popular dye source because you see that in things you get really basically from trees acorns oak leaves some of the dyes that we'll talk about are actually roots or bark of the trees yeah i see it matter root yeah yeah and then flowers marigold flowers um yeah oh that's an interesting color that's one of the few that is actually from the 
actual petals of the flower. Some of these okay. you'll get like from the stamens. You could do saffron. Mm-hmm. You can do a lot of roots. Um, What's a stamen? It's the um, part of the reproductive system of the flower that's like the little stamen hey, and pistil. Hey, it's wait, the... I remember ninth grade. Wait, <laughs> there we go. I got it. Just re- I remember that. Hey, there we go. Okay. Yeah, so it's the little, I think it's the pollen-covered bit that mm-hmm. sticks up in the middle of the... The reproductive organs. Yes. Yes, got you. Okay. Not, not a botanist, but that's the best I got. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a scientist, so I'm, I'm following you. I got it. Okay, so... So have you ever had like a like a outdoor area, like a patio or a deck or even a sidewalk sometimes, and you'll see oak leaves fall on it, and then as they get rain on and the sun shines on them for a long time once the the leaves get swept away there's a, a stain essentially on the concrete that yes. still is brown oh my god it takes my husband off so much he gets his little power washer out there yes actually so that's some of the same like it doesn't bind to like concrete because there's nothing for it to bind to like with the fibers right but that's the same material that same dye that's getting deposited on the surface level of the sidewalk or deck or whatever it is okay that's cool okay yeah. And another thing I was going to say as a food waste product, so we'll also, uh, you can use avocado pits. Again, something that you don't eat, but you could could plant it if you cared, but it takes a long time to grow an avocado tree. I do not. (laughs) And then also, um, a lot of, you can just dye stuff with black tea, like the tea grounds that are left over or tea leaves. Mm -hmm. Um, You can use that also. What color does that turn? But you don't have that up here. I don't. I haven't done that one myself. I think it's also a darker brownish color. Nice. Okay, cool, cool. But you can see you know, the majority of the colors you'll get are in the brown hue family. Are you pink. Get, there's a lot of pink up here. Yeah, there's there's pinks, there's there's Pans, browns, there's golds. Yellows, you know. yeah. I'm not seeing like bright reds. I'm not seeing purples or blues really. What? Well, yeah, I see like one, but it's right. like, I'm, you know, I'm, but I, I'm agreeing with you. Like I see a lot mm-hmm. of like tan-ish Right. You know, yeah. A lot of natural colors. Right. There we go. Natural. That's yeah. better. Yeah. And so a lot of these, um, they don't actually, you know, necessarily match what the color of the flower is or, mm-hmm. or that kind of thing. But um, part of what affects the color that sticks to the fiber is a process that helps the dye stick and it's called mordanting. And mordant. Mordanting. <laughs> it sounds really menacing. Mordant. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It, I mean, it does sound really menacing. Technically, it's mordar, or um, I forget if it's like French and Latin, but basically it means to bite. <laughs> oh, okay. So it actually is menacing. Yeah. Well, but it, it, the, <laughs> I thought, I was thinking less like, because something about more sounds like things that end with like death, like yeah. memento mori, remember you Only will die. Biting and... is, biting can lead to death. But I feel like this is more like den- dental. Dental. Kind of. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Like in French, dent is your teeth. Mm-hmm. And right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that, but I'm going to pretend I did because I'm <laughs> smart. I took too much French in high school. Yeah, I took English. English, but major. not not enough to be functional. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, the America who does take enough foreign language to be functional. Fair. That's fair. Mm-hmm. When you live in Louisiana, they make you take French though. So. America, Louisiana. All right. Yeah. Anyway, focusing. So. so one of the things that will affect the variation of the colors is um, what you treat the fibers with before you dye it. So I feel like we got into this without saying what the process involved in natural dyeing is. So at the very beginning, of course, you have to make the fibers to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're talking both about plant-based fibers and animal-based fibers. Okay. So for animal-based fibers, they're protein-based fiber in that they are usually keratin or... Um, like silk counts 
um, as an animal fiber. It's a protein-based fiber. From, yeah, from the worms. Um, okay. Because yeah, just to clarify, when you're saying like animal-based, you're talking about like wool. Yeah. Okay. So as an gotcha. example, we're going to be talking about wool. Okay. Um, and so when you collect the fibers, then you comb them, you card them, you spin them into a long string, and then you can wrap those strings around each other to create yarn. Mm-hmm. All of the swatches that I have as examples for Katie have been knit, but you can, you know, obviously knit, crochet, weave. Right. I think weaving is probably the oldest of those, since you can do it with just yarn without any external tools Mm -hmm. if you have to. But once you have that undyed spun yarn, uh, then you can choose to progress to coloring it or you can so you can uh, either dye it once it's already in the shape of a fabric or loose as wool um if you do it as the loose fiber you'll and kind of move it around as you're dyeing it you'll get a lot more consistent color distribution mm-hmm. rather than because if you get it in the um if you dye it already as a piece of fabric you run the risk of like tie dye effects basically because where oh. the type the fibers are touching each other they won't get the mordant and they won't get the dye that could be kind of cool though it can yeah um and i have some like silk scarves that i dyed um with these natural dyes also Mm -hmm. um but those are the only ones i did as uh, a finished piece and not as the loose fibers gotcha um and then uh as an alternative to the animal-based fibers are going to be plant-based fibers cotton cotton uh, and linen are the two that i've uh worked with so the examples here are cotton um, and they're, they're fibers though, plant fibers are cellulose based. So they are very different chemically from the wool. So the wool, the, the keratin fibers are actually, I don't know if wool is keratin. Hair is keratin. Yeah. So I assume that wool also is, um, but it's not necessarily like fur, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, they're very porous fibers. There's a lot of space in mm-hmm. the fiber itself for the dye to attach. I've touched the sheep. Yeah. <laughs> they're fluffy. They yeah, got they some give. Yeah, they are fluffy. Um, I actually have some undyed, just sheared wool. Why aren't we just hugging that right now with like softness? Like, it is very oh, soft. Such fluff. Okay. It does need to be cleaned a little bit more. But Don't care. Um, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure that's <laughs> fine. Okay. So like, then, yeah, I get that. Like it's porous. There's right. like a lot of like space between it. Yeah. Because it's fluff. Yeah. The fluff but, fluff. Hello, Simmerine. Oh, the cat has participated. The cat would also like to mention that she is fluff. Hi, Hi Simmerine. We talked about fluff, so she appeared. Yeah, that's actually Hi, really cool timing. I'm here for it. Hello. Okay, so, but what's the difference between wool and, like, cotton? Yes, yeah, so the cotton or any plant fibers. Kind of fluffy. They are, but when you spin them, when you look at the fibers, they're very slick. There's not a lot of roughness to mm-hmm. the actual, like, Simmerine, we're talking. Chemically, a lot of roughness to the fiber. And so, like, if you if you take a cotton blob, you know, just off of the off of a plant, yeah. and you kind of, like, pull it in your fingers, it'll stay soft, but it'll start to feel a little silky. Oh, that's true. Yeah, when you pull it. Like, it, yeah. It, yeah, it gets weird. Yeah. Right. Yeah, strange texture. Whereas yeah. with wool, it's very rough. And so wool has this, like... You know, felt. So the mm-hmm. ability to make felt you can make just by agitating wool or rub, like rubbing the fibers next to each other. And they're so naturally irregular and rough that they start to like basically like the bits of the fibers weave themselves together and mm-hmm. you can make a solid mass of just wool fiber. Yeah. And it's because you can't do that with something like cotton mm-hmm. that's real slick. Right. Okay. So the dyes are going to stick very differently to plant fibers than they are wool fibers. Yeah, I'm noticing on this board, like, the colors you're getting off wool are, like, vibrant. 
and like really bright. Whereas like your cotton fibers, I'm feeling like, you know, like newborn baby vibes, like very right. muted colors. They're very pastel. Yeah. Yes. Very pastel. Pastel is a good word. Very <laughs> pastel. Yes. So a lot of the difference between the two comes from the type of fiber, obviously, but there is also a difference in the type of mordant that you use. And so again, this is a pretreatment that you do after you, you know, generate the fiber into a format, you want to work with it mm-hmm. and then like wash it really well, make sure that there's not any uh, leftover, like especially with wool, there's, there's, um, what, uh, what they call lanolin. It's an oil that you get from I the sheep skin. That. Yeah. And if you, that's still coating the wool, it'll be hard for the dyes to stick to. So there's a, you know, definitely like a cleaning. Yeah. Dyers call it a scouring process. A scour. It sounds We've very We've got mordants and scour. I know. It sounds very serious. And who knew that like, you know, making your own clothing was this metal. <laughs> Here for it. But after you do that, then you will be able to treat it with the mordant. And so the mordant is a metal a metal ion that you generally apply like as a salt and basically the the metal will bind to the fiber and to the dye and it makes a little bridge chemically between the fiber and the dye so that the dye can stick to the fiber better. Oh, okay, cool. So the dye doesn't have to stick directly to the animal fiber that doesn't may not have the right kind of chemistry to bind it very strongly, mm-hmm. but the metal ions will bind it a lot more strongly. That makes sense. Okay, I got you. So it's a, it's a go-between. Yes. It's your middleman. It got is. It. It's the middleman that makes that, that chemical bridge. Mm-hmm. And so popular mordants, like I said, being metal ions can be alum, which is um, yes, it's aluminum potassium sulfate is the po- is a potash alum that you often use. A potash atom. A potash alum. I'm going to right read there. this. A potash atom. Alum. Like potash. Like potash. Alum. Yes. Like potato. Yes. Po- potash. Or like potassium. Potas. Oh, that makes more sense. <laughs> that makes more sense. That's much cooler. I don't know. Potato sounded cool. Okay. Potash yeah. alum. Gotcha. Yes. Um, and then cream of tartar, you can also use, um, and so cream of tartar actually is the, um, it's like the sediment that you get at the bottom of wine. Hey, <laughs> man, there's all sorts of wine in this particular podcast. Yes. I like this one. Tannins, tartar, yes. all the good stuff. So you, those together will help create a good binding surface on, mm-hmm. on the surface of the wool. You can also use copper as the ion, the metal ion to bind. You can expensive. Okay. It is. I don't know how much you need. I guess three quarters of an ounce of copper sulfate per pound of dry wool, according to my notes. Okay. Um. So that's not tons, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Uh, and you get it as copper sulfate, so you need it in a in a way in which the copper ions will be able to dissolve into solution and then bind to the wool. But then you can also use tin. And then really? I think, yeah. Tin. Okay. Yeah, and I think those are the only ones I had um, with notes for wool. But there, there are definitely a lot of, of other mordants you can use. But depending on the culture that generated these dyeing systems, uh, there's always a way to, for them to use basically whatever metals or other binding agents they had on hand. So it varies across, across the world. Okay, so I have a question, Mm -hmm. if you don't mind me interrupting you for a second. Not at all. So you're sitting here and you're like, okay, obviously I expect you to have science involved in this. And like, you know, you're like atoms and potash alum, (laughs) which is like the new, my new favorite word. I love that so much. Um, But my question is, so, you know, obviously people started this, you're welcome, like forever ago, right? Like this is like you said, like the second people figured out they could make clothing, they were like, well, can I make it prettier? Right. (laughs) Can we do this better? (laughs) Can we do this better, please? So my question is, I'm assuming that people, let's just pick a time period, let's say 2,000 years ago, who did not know what potash alums were, were they still more, because I'm thinking just 
the museum I went to in St. Louis, like this, these dyes came from like forever ago and mm. the vibrancy was still there mm. what, what did they use then like was it just like they happened upon copper because i knew copper was readily available in like many countries over in asia like how does the how did this get figured out do we know or is- uh, i'm guaranteed people do know i looked up some bit on mordant history earlier so i'm trying to find a, a website i saw earlier today because I know that these mordants, alum, copper, were used in the Middle Ages. I'm just trying to find really? something older, yeah, for like Egypt and Bible times and stuff like well, that. Even like, even like in the Middle Ages, I'm sitting here looking at it. I'm like, how do you figure that out? Were you just like, I dip it in metal first and it works so, better? So yeah, Egypt, India, and Assyria used alum and iron. Yeah. That's fascinating. I mean, I didn't know you this. You know most stuff you probably find out by accident. Yeah. You find an aluminum deposit or a copper mine or something and where it rubs your clothes, the dye sticks better or like, something. This is great. Actually, <laughs> actually I feel like um, it's probably more likely if you have say a lake next to a copper mine or next to aluminum you get dissolved ions in the lake and then you wash your clothes in that and then that's that would be you know brighter colors would result from stuff that had been washed in that or like a river or lake that's potentially me pulling stuff out of my butt but i think that's the best way you'd stumble on this by accident i mean that hey makes sense to me that's fascinating you're like man my neighbor has much brighter clothes than me i need to start using her water (laughs) you know i mean that makes sense that's cool yeah because this is this is really fascinating and i'm looking at like the wide variety of colors and i'm just like man i will never take for granted the fact that i like to wear like bright purple clothing ever again because i'm like all these people had to like dye their stuff with metal and then dye it with like you know bug guts or like just bug shells bug (laughs) shells bugs you know, or bug secretions. Like you can do, I think shellac is a bug secretion. Don't tell me things like it's that. It's like the lac beetle. Um, like the stuff I put on my nails? Shellac nail polish? I don't, don't know, ruin, I don't know don't if that's this still made of natural shellac. Okay. I doubt it. But it, don't it ruin did, this for me. The secretion did form a very like shiny, hard coating. And so like, like shellac. the term shellac is used for a lot of things these days. Okay, I'm going to look into that before I ever get my nails done again. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I doubt it's still made from mm-hmm. lac beetles. <laughs> oh man, I heard that like there's still bugs in our makeup and stuff. Okay, anyway, so there's still bat poop in your makeup, right? I don't know, nor did I want to. Well, I mean, what? I've always <laughs> been told that one of the main ingredients of mascara is guano. I mean, probably not anymore, but like historically. Oh God, I did not know that. Did I want to know that? Thank you for that. Okay, so we're back on the fabrics, and I'm sitting here fascinated by all the really cool colors, Mm -hmm. and I think it's really neat. And I'm actually looking at like the difference in colors between like the ones that have been treated with um, alum versus the ones that have been treated with copper. There's definitely a color difference, right? The ones that that have been treated with copper definitely have a bit of a greener sheen to them. Yeah, just uh, some of the coloring from the copper ions Mm -hmm. in addition to the dye stuffs. Right, the logwood's the most dramatic to me. Yeah, the cochineal also is went from a very fuchsia to more of a dull yeah purpley almost yeah the walnut's actually a lot prettier with the copper in my opinion yes i agree yeah so that's that's something as you're trying to do this as a as a hobby as a science as a career whatever you you have to keep pretty accurate counts of the amount of dye that you use the type and amount of mordant you use and also the amount of time that you expose the fabric to the dye and the amount of fabric that you expose to the dye at one time because you can see from those difference in the cochineal ones. I did, um, yeah. The first stuff you put in the dye bath is going to soak up a lot of the dye molecules, more so than it is the water. And so you will actually be removing dye molecules from the solution at a greater rate than you're removing water from the solution. And so subsequent fiber that you put in will not have as much dye available, and so mm. it will be a lighter color. Okay. 
That actually makes a lot of sense. Um, and you were saying something about the size. The size matters too? Or just the same the, reason? Or Well, if you put in a lot of fabric at once, mm-hmm. you may overwhelm the amount of dye that you have, the dye molecules you have available. Okay. But the best way to do it as far as if you're putting in a lot of fabric is to uh, make sure that it's in like just the loose yarn Mm -hmm. and you like wrap it really loosely so that the dye can be sure to get to all of the fibers evenly. Gotcha. But there's a big risk when you do wool because like I said, wool fibers themselves are very rough and if you're agitating it and mixing it to make sure that the dye gets to all the parts of the fiber, you run the risk of felting your wool together. Oh God. And then you're like, no! Right, and then it's a useless wad, and it's not something that you can then weave with or knit with. Respect, man. I have nothing but respect for this right now. People who have to do this. Okay. So um, for cotton, you can use some of the same mordants. You can also use alum, but you can also use tannic acid. So that um, you can see for the cotton, I have some that are uh, alum and uh, washing soda. Yeah, that that logwood is beautiful. Oh yeah, that's so that's the one with tannin and alum, uh-huh. um, and then alum and then washing soda. Something something caustic uh, helps the alum work it, better. It looks like it bleached the cochineal though. Like that is light. Yeah, it's very light and compared to the cochineal on the wool. Yeah, like we're talking off white bubble gum versus bright pink for color. If that yeah. helps at all, like like I mean the the difference is like extreme. Like I would not if Erica had told me to match the cochineal from wool with cochineal from cotton, I would not have picked this swatch of fabric. Like, yeah. They are drastically different colors. Yep. Speaking of the, the colors, though, being different, both the actual dye and then also not just the mordant, but then there's a post-treatment um, to kind of set the dye. Mm-hmm. You can either wash with an acid or a base. And again, chemically, the way it sets the dye, acids will turn blues and purples a little bit redder. So it'll make like purples a bit more on the red side than the blue side. Mm-hmm. And you can do that also with like lemon juice and vinegar and, and other natural That's acids cool. as well. Okay. And then um, you can do a basic or alkaline rinse as well. And that will turn things more towards the uh, blue green side of things. It'll make blues greener uh, or make yellows and oranges bolder. So it shifts things the other direction. Okay. So, wow, okay, so, like, yeah, the little nuances of that, depending on what color you're trying to get. Right, and you can get pretty specific, but as a chemical equation, you need to be really specific with the weights of dyes that you use and the concentrations of acids that you use, and so it it gets pretty cool. Sounds like math and science. It does does sound like math, but but the the middle step that we keep trying to go back to is, is definitely the most fun part, which is actually choosing your colors and doing the dye and pulling your yarn out that's all these different colors when it's done. Hey! So, some of the natural dyes that we're looking at here, you've heard us mention. So, we've got your browns that come from hickory nuts, from walnuts, from acorns. Avocado. Avocado, uh, madder root, mm-hmm. um, things like that. And then, oh, did I say pecans? You did say okay. pecans. Okay, I did say And the pecans actually are really pretty brown. Mm-hmm. Like, if I was going to pick a brown to wear, that would be the brown I picked. Yeah. You can also do stuff that um, I haven't personally worked with, but have been more um global like henna actually comes from a plant as well i didn't know that and yep. and again with a lot of these nuts it's from not the edible portion but from the hull mm-hmm. of the nuts and then you'll get a lot more golds they do come from plants also and the plants make the really pretty yellows i mean and these mm-hmm. are beautiful golds like i'm yeah. looking at it and like i would wear this oh my god absolutely like i'm looking at the onion the marigold the marigold is much darker than i thought it's almost mm-hmm. a little green what is Osagi orange? Is that orange like I'm thinking? Or? No, it's it's Osage orange. Osage um, orange. My bad. I don't, I don't, you know. 
So it's, it's not like I teach language or anything. <laughs> so it's actually this plant. Oh, that thing is bright green. Yep. Okay, bright green makes a very pretty yellow. Yep. Interesting. Okay, that's so what you're it saying. looks. It looks like I don't know a moldy apple. It does look like a moldy apple. It does not look particularly appetizing. I would not eat it. But yeah, but it makes also a, a kind of a soft yellower color of the alum and then kind of a more gold color mm-hmm. with the copper. But that's also because of the slight greenish tint that the copper gives it. The marigold was actually a pain because that actually was the flower portion. And you, when you're doing loose dyes like that, you either have to put the flower in a like a cheesecloth or a pantyhose or something to keep it all together. Like, yes. if, like using a tea bag, basically. Uh-huh. Or otherwise, you're picking marigold flower bits out of your yarn for a really long time. You're like, this is the worst. Yes. <laughs> okay, and then daisy fleabane. Mm-hmm. What is that? That's also a plant. Also a plant. Okay, yeah. it's a plant. And it makes a very... That's not really even like a color. It's very pale. Super yeah. pale. Like, it, it's yellow-ish. It's like some, It's like a, It's like the LaCroix of like the dye world. It's yeah. like someone yelled yellow from another room. And so it, you see it. It just looks like daisies. It is pretty though. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's pretty. So that's why they don't make a very strong color. Okay, yeah. It's white and yellow. Got you. Okay. And then one of the boldest colors that I've been able to work with was actually logwood. God, and yeah. It's the it prettiest is, thing on the board. You boil the bark of the logwood tree and you get this really rich dark blue. And it's it's a bit like of a purplish blue, so I don't know if you'd call it a true blue like you would with indigo. Mm-hmm. But for a long time, you know, if, in medieval Europe, it was probably the only blue you could get because mm-hmm. indigo is a lot rarer. Mm-hmm. And it turns green when you do it with copper. Yeah, it turns a very strange dark teal almost. It's very pretty. It's like my hair. Yes, Katie's hair is curly. Yeah, like a dark tealish, bluish teal. You know. Yeah, so that's cool. Okay, so very But in the cotton, you see it's very pale. Also. Yes, I actually love the cotton logwood. It's it's silver almost. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a silvery purple, absolutely. It's very pretty. I love yeah. it a lot. Yeah, logwood's definitely the brightest thing on this board. Like, it sticks out. It's yeah. very pretty. And it came from bark. That's interesting. Yeah, and it's a lot easier way to make a blue than indigo. Now, mm-hmm. indigo, like you see, that one on the floor, does is a lot brighter blue. And it's pretty. It's very pretty, but it's, from a chemi- chemistry standpoint and actually doing the dyeing, it's a lot more tricky and it's a lot more dangerous because the indigo, you have to put, like, you know, the actual powdered indigo plant in a pot but then you have to boil it and you put in uh, urea so sodium hydrosulfate sodium carbonate the washing soda and it's this really caustic mixture you have to wear gloves when you're working with it you can't just you know when you're stirring it but also when you pick the the fibers up to go hang it up to dry Um, and also the color develops on the indigo after you're done dyeing it so it basically um, it the color forms once it reacts with oxygen Mm -hmm. after it's finished dyeing so you have to know ahead of time how long to dip your fiber and then hang it up and wait for the color to develop. It's not like the others where you can just look at it and see, oh, what color is this now? I'll put it back for longer. So it's it's a very, um, you have to do that one basically by the recipe instead of by, oh my God. by eyes. Well, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, how long did it take people to figure out that their hands were falling off because they were working with indigo? Yeah, it's very dangerous. Like when we were doing it and they had it boiling, and well, not boiling because you don't want to introduce oxygen to the water, but it's mm-hmm. like, hot. you know, steamingly hot. And they're like, don't stand downwind of the steam. It's really caustic and it'll be really bad for you. Good night. Okay, so danger. Yeah, so indigo is actually not very safe for you but man it's pretty y'all that's yeah. a pretty blue i would wear that blue and I'm, I'm assuming you said it was rare so i'm assuming one of the reasons it had such like historical significance is because, because of yeah. how rare and dangerous it was okay it, 
tropical and subtropical regions. So definitely not something you had in medieval Europe. Yes. It's actually got kind of pinkish leaves. Yeah, uh, I would not think that would make blue. Yeah. That is definitely pink. Okay. But yeah, and actually when you're dyeing it, the vat is like this just green or yellowish green color. Because mm. then when you take the the, fi- the fibers out after they've been dyed, it's very green until it develops in the air. Okay, we have got to dye stuff together one day. I'm super interested in this. All right. Yeah, it's really cool. So those are the basic colors that we have. And then, like I said, you can adjust the colors after the fact, slightly before it dries uh, with acid and base washes. And you get this wide array of colors that last forever. Like I said, you get bog bodies that still have intact clothing that still is dyed. Which is cool. Yeah. The body is gone, but the color remains. Well, not for bog bodies. No. Oh. Wait, are those the ones that are, like, mummified? Mm-hmm. Oh, take Na- it back. God, Na- we're done. This is not Halloween. Back to the colored cat. The colored fabric. They're very naturally mum- mummified. <laughs> it's very cool. I mean, once again, your definition of cool and my definition of cool are two really separate <laughs> things. So really yeah. separate things. So yeah, no, this is really neat. This is super interesting. And I'm kind of wondering like modern day implications of this, right? So like, obviously this is not how we color fabric anymore. No, synthetic dyes um, are a lot easier. Uh, they're a lot faster. And that's kind of everything about the industrial revolution says make everything faster. Right. But, like lot- my colors bleed. Like I still have clothing that bleeds. That's true. And that's often an oversaturation with a dye to make it look pretty when uh-huh. you first buy it. Right. And-, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, this sucks. Yeah. And then this will happen too with some of these you definitely have to wash all of the fabric after you dye it because you will have excess dye on just the, the stuck to the fibers but not bound to mm-hmm. it and so yeah you definitely have to wash all of these and wash them separately and then don't store them next to each other like when i had these in bags you may notice i had a bag of the pinky purples and then a bag of the browns yeah because whenever they were first dyed and maybe not necessarily dry all the way but they can transfer some Jump of their to each dye. other yeah. oh, okay and then you have like a tie-dye effect but not the fun kind yeah not on purpose and I'm actually really fascinated with the even the array of browns that you get. I mean, like I said, browns were going to be the most common thing you'd find in medieval Europe because everyone's got access to oak trees and acorns and stuff that's just in the mm-hmm. woods. But you can get a surprising array of browns and golds just from not, e- not even flowers and, and stuff, just from trees. You know? Which is cool. Yeah, I mean, none of the browns look the same. None of the yellows look the same, which is really neat. I'm fascinated by the beetles. I don't think I'd ever wear beetles, but it is my favorite color on the board besides the logwood. You've probably definitely eaten beetles before. Oh, God, I don't want to know. But see, like, it's We like, talked it's like about that before. Food, it's like learning how your food's made. Like, I don't actually want to know about it. You don't want it. to know that it's got crushed up beetles in it? I don't. So I have one more question before <laughs> I let you wrap this up into whatever you want. And this is, like, you knew I was going to come back to this because you let me touch stuff. Uh-huh. Right? So my question is, Thank and you. I know like back in the medieval times, it was less about um, my American comforts and more about like, you know, staying out of the elements. I mm-hmm. get it. But at some point, people did decide that it would be nice if their clothing felt nice. <laughs> and I'm just going to tell everyone listening that I put that wool on my skin and I was like, oh, that's probably why skin care wasn't a thing in the medieval age. <laughs> it is scratchy. And I don't mean mildly uncomfortable. I mean that I would, I would chafe wearing yeah. some of this. So was there a way or is there a way to make this to wear... You're wearing these really cool natural fiber fabrics, and you're like, man, this is neat, but not also want to claw your skin off? So uh, I've heard that stuff like vinegar can soften the fabrics. Does it mess like with the physically? color, though? Because that's an acid. Probably. Okay. Um, what, the things that sh- you know talked about using that as a natural fabric softener uh, did not mention what it would do to the color, because I think they assume that you're using modern clothing with synthetic dyes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, 
but that's always been a problem with wool. I mean, I can remember growing up and hating some of the sweaters I had because there's no way to make wool comfortable. Yeah, I guess that's true, yeah. And so from what I have learned, if at all possible, you would want to wear a linen layer underneath the wool scratchy horrible layer. Got you. Okay. And linen was, I think, pretty widely available mm -hmm. as a plant. You know, I don't think cotton was necessarily as available at the time. But fun fact, especially around here in the south of America, if you are doing any activities in the summer and you need to wear, you know, medieval style clothing, always go for linen over cotton because they're both plant fibers, but cotton absorbs a lot more water. So as you sweat, the fibers swell. And the, no matter how loose of a weave you have of your cotton, it'll get tighter as the fibers swell. So there's less airflow through the fabric. Uh, With linen, okay. linen doesn't absorb the liquid in the same way. So linen does not, those fibers don't swell. And so the fabric remains breathable. Well, see, that's fascinating. No one's ever explained that to me. I've always heard wear, wear linen in the summer. Mm. Like if you have to wear pants, wear linen pants. No one ever explained that to me. I appreciate that. Thank yeah, you. They, they'll breathe a lot better. It makes a big difference, actually. Yeah. Also, your linen can be wrinkled and no one cares because it's linen. It's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, it's real nice. Actually, I went to Medieval Times with Danny. And, That's right, uh, yeah. I wore a dress that I had made out of linen and did have to steam iron it right before we left. Of course you. Of course but, you've made your own dress. No part of me surprised by that. Make me a dress. I want a linen dress. I want it dyed, too. I would like it dyed with indigo. Yeah. Like an indigo dyed I wonder how much that went for back in Medieval like, Way back when. So like, much. Like, man, I would need to be married to, like, the rich guy. Yeah. Be like, like yep. I'm saying, indigo is a dangerous... The, the process of, of getting that bright of a color on your fabric is dangerous. Mm -hmm. Now, indigo usually doesn't need a mordant step because it's so... You're, you're basically mixing what is the equivalent of the mordants in with the fabric while you're doing the dye mm -hmm. because you can mix in the washing powder, the washing soda or um, the urea, which will help it bind. But um, it, at least it doesn't take an extra step. And actually for a lot of these, you can either pre-mordant, which is what we were talking about, and you can actually co-mordant, or you can actually do a post-mordant, which is you do the dye and then, I guess, pull it out with the dye still on it, and then you put the mordant on it, I and don't you know. just basically <laughs> it'll cause what's the dye that's still there to stick to it and bind better to the mm. fabric, but it's... And that seems like you would get the least dye stuck to your fabric and maybe not. Like, it would help the dye that you have stay longer gotcha. and be more color fast. But in the initial, like, how much dye gloms onto your fabric to begin with, mm -hmm. you'd get less. Got you. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. This is so cool. And I'm going to be completely honest to anybody listening. I knew Erica. Like, Erica's, like, super crafty. I come over occasionally and she's, like, decided to pick up a new hobby, like, cross-stitching. And I'm like, okay. Like, that's great. I'm like a squirrel. I can't stay focused on anything for more than 20 seconds. But this is something I actually didn't know you did. Yeah. This is cool, man. I would like to go ahead and give a shout out to the Coleman Fiber Guild of uh, Coleman, Alabama, which is where a lot of my notes came from today. When I lived in Alabama for my master's program, I was part of the Huntsville Fiber Guild. And the uh, Huntsville Fiber Guild uh, once a year does a workshop with the Coleman Fiber Guild where they, we all go out to the woods and dye natural fabric together. Because why not? It's yeah. not at all witchy, I guess. Not at all. Not even a little bit. <laughs> but, totally um, normal. It was a great deal of fun. I enjoyed it. Well, all my resources for today were from my notes that were distributed from that class. So thanks to Miss Crystal Kitchens, who wrote some of those notes up and led the workshop at the time. 
So just a shout out to <laughs> Coleman, Alabama. Absolutely, guys. Y'all are awesome. This is really cool. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else you want to tell us about it before we start to wrap it up? Uh, no, I hope this was uh, interesting to people. I know it wasn't like super organized and that a lot of this you have to see. So that's why we're going to put it on the oh, yeah. Instagram. But as far as kind of a, a history of early chemistry, this is one of the ways that common you know, people meaning non-scientists, non-dedicated scientists or alchemists or whatever they were called at the time, mm-hmm. would actually be exposed to early stages of chemistry because, you know, applying metal ions and then the dyes that have the specific chemical structure that uh, we didn't talk into like why different chemical structures reflect different colors of light. That sounded like a lot of work. Um, <laughs> but, and then treating with acid or base after that. And like, there's definitely a lot of chemistry going on in just your clothes. So I like it as, as one of the earliest types of science, probably a lot of people were exposed to in their daily lives. Love it. Very nice. All right. So um, mental health minute for this week. Hanging out with friends. Uh, Katie visiting has been awesome. We uh, spent a lot of time yesterday hanging out at my boyfriend's farm and just riding around in a old Dodge Raider on a sandbar and having absolutely crazy times. And, uh, it was, it was great, but it was relaxing. And so it's not really mental health, but other than the extension of my previous comments to find your support system and remember mm-hmm. to relax. Cause Katie's definitely a big part of my support system as far as mental health goes. So samesies, <laughs> samesies. Katie is also a big part of Katie's mental health support system. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a, Katie's a narcissist apparently. <laughs> Kate has a lot of self-confidence in it. Hey. <laughs> so, yeah, no, uh, I'm going to kind of follow up on what Erica said, um, and I'm going to tie a little bit more to that. Uh, definitely, and, and let's let's not lie, like, you know, we're recording this, like, the day after the, like, the preliminary election results came out, and despite who you voted for or in spite of who you voted for, um, I think it's very important to take that step back, realize that there are a lot of emotions right now, whether they're good or they're bad emotions, And to kind of set that boundary with yourself for other people who might drain you while at the same time making sure to take the time to surround yourself with people or activities that invigorate you and support you where you are in your uh, mental health journey. Like this weekend, I was laughing with Erica. Um, This is the most relaxed I've been in weeks because school started back up. So, of course, I'm, you know, loving it, but I'm still chasing around a bunch of like children and like trying to, you know, get my seniors graduated while still getting my, you know, fourth graders through the year and just being around Erica was just so comforting and relaxing and it really kind of put into perspective like how sometimes the people you surround yourself with drain you and then sometimes the people you surround yourself with lift you up and having that awareness of who falls in what category and when and where you need to make time for each individual group of people. So yeah. Aw. Yeah. Thank you. Love. I'm glad cheers. You, cheers. Because we're had having a good brunch. weekend. Oh my god, great weekend. I just want to say, driving around in a sandbar in a car with the windows down, blaring music, I was like, I am 16 again. Yeah, it was amazing. And drove it's, around it was great. the field, hay fields and and corn and copper, uh, copper cotton fields that had uh, already been on the brain <laughs> that had been uh, harvested. So we're just driving around in uh, the dirt. Yeah. Don't forget, you know? guys, we're from Louisiana. That music at the beginning and end, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Okay. Yeah. 
So, like, yeah, no, like, total high school throwback. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, it was great. Much love. It was so much fun. Shout out to my boyfriend for driving oh, us yeah. around in the Raider and making us Crunchberry pancakes for breakfast and yeah. putting up with us being crazy. I'm telling you, Danny can deal with both of us at the same time. That's why I love him for Eric. I'm like, this is great. He can put up with me coming in, and it's a good it's a good time. Love me some Danny, man. Yeah. All right, well, if you want to get in touch with us, don't forget, you can hit us up at our email at southernsciencechicks at gmail.com. Um, I will be posting through the website that I am setting up, TBD, uh, what our Instagram and Facebook pages are. And if you email me, I can make sure to link you directly. Be sure to subscribe to us on Podbean, which is what I listen to it on. Erica keeps telling me she's updated to other places, but I, Podbean yes. was the OG. Yes, we so originally want to. Podbean, Podbean hosts our, po- our um, podcast, all our files. So, you know, that's the kind of the first place we were accessible, but hopefully now you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and all kinds of podcatchers and streaming services out there. So wherever you found us, that's where you can find we're us. We're legit. <laughs> yep, we're legit now. All right, guys, we will see y'all next week. And uh, don't take your colored clothing for granted. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Do you ever tell the friends we have?